What is up, Heartland Christian Camps? Oh. So uh, we've been doing some work in chapel. We've been, we've been beating around the bush of, about this Messiah. We've been talking about how Genesis requires it. We talked about how the law and the prophets pointed ahead to it. The gospels speak about him. The epistles point back to him and Revelation talks about him coming again. And so tonight we're gonna, we're gonna dive in to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we get there, I wanna, I wanna tell you my story. I feel like we're friends now. I feel like I can let you into my life a little bit. I was 17 years old. Was a, I was a high school senior going into my senior year. Maybe it just started. I was playing baseball, and my identity was in baseball. I don't know if any of you relate to that, but, but that's who I was. My teammates were like my best pals. Like, we would do everything together. And then uh, one day, this girl comes up to me. Her name is Heather. Heather was cute. She was super cute. And Heather... Heather loved Jesus. Yeah, I'm grateful for that. Heather um, comes up to me and she goes, hey, hey Mike, go to this youth group and uh, I just wonder if you want to go with me. We're tracking. You're all right. So I looked at her and I said, no, thanks. Hey, I could have lied to y'all and you wouldn't have known, but I got to be, I got to be honest. Okay. So I, I said, no, thanks. And, uh, because I mean, I was a baseball player. Like my identity was in that. My identity wasn't in Jesus. I, I didn't want to, I wasn't a church kid. I didn't grow up in the church. I grew up, I, I was in the Catholic church until I was in uh, second grade. So I knew just enough about the Bible to be dangerous. And so I, I, I went to, to Catholic church. We stopped going, and baseball became my church. I was there every Sunday playing baseball, out on the Little League fields or traveling to play. I did everything uh, around baseball. And so Heather comes up to me, and she asked me, do you want to come to youth group? I'm like, no, of course I don't. Church is not my thing. And so she says, okay. And so the next week comes around. She goes, hey, Mike. I know last week didn't work for you. Do you, you want to come to youth group with me? And I'm starting to think she's into me. Like, this cute girl might like me. And so I said, no, thanks. Remember, Jesus wasn't my thing. Church wasn't for me. It wasn't the, the place. Girls were for me, Yes but not church. And so she came again the next week and again the next week. And here's my story. Heather asked me eight times. She's persistent. And I was like, we're going to date. I might even marry this girl. And so finally I'm like, man, she must really like me. So I'm going to go. And I said, all right, I'm going to go. Well, it turns out she just really loved Jesus. She wasn't into me at all. 
It works. I'll tell you the end of the story. It works out for me in the end. I, I married this incredible woman. But but for the, the meantime, I was I was thrown off. Because I'm like, you, why did you ask me all of these times? I had no clue. Because I hadn't been to church since I was six years old. And so I show up to church. And I remember Tim, Pastor Tim. And they did this thing. I don't know if you guys do it at your youth groups, but it's like table discussions before the sermon. And, and so, so like the, all the round tables are out and, and they have like two questions. And the sermon's on original sin, right? And so right before the sermon, they just get you talking. So you're thinking about what's going on. And, uh, and the question was, are babies born innocent or guilty? Well, I was a prideful baseball player. You know any of them? Anybody? It's kind of a mark on, on baseball players. I'm not going to lie. But I was one of them. And so, listen, I went to church until I, I was six. I need an answer. Boom, shoot up my hand. I'm like, call on me. Innocent. Babies haven't done anything. How could they be guilty? Like, they can't even talk. Are they guilty for pooping? Are they guilty for eating? Are they guilty for sleeping or crying? That's all that they do. And the leader, her name was Kristen, she, she looks at me and she goes, oh, man, thank you for sharing. That's like the pity party. Like, oh, this is how I tell you you're wrong in like Christianese. Oh, thank you. Good try. And then she begins to show me the human condition, that babies are born guilty because of the sin of Adam and Eve. And that hit me right here. Not because I was worried about the babies, because I was worried about being wrong. And so I went home and I asked my mom, I said, mom, do you have a Bible? She said, I think I still have one. She was my Sunday school teacher when I was five, so uh, she also apparently didn't know everything about Jesus. But so, so she she climbs up. I remember it like it was yesterday. She climbs up into the top top shelf of her closet. Like she rolls back, you know those rolling doors with the glass on it. So she rolls it back and, and she reaches up, like on a step stool, and she pulls down this white Catholic Bible. And no joke, she blows the dust off. She's like, here. And inside of me, I had to think, well, what don't I know about God? Well, the pastor said, hey, go home and, and read the Gospel of John. Just, just I'm like, okay, how hard can that be? So I sit on my floor in my bedroom. I remember it like it was yesterday. I just start reading the Gospel of John, and things just start making sense. Things just start making, like, I, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed something. And I kept going back to church. I kept asking questions. And there was one question that I had to answer for myself. It's the same question that the disciples have to answer here in Matthew 16. It says, now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, listen, Caesarea Philippi, think Vegas on steroids. Like, you think Vegas is bad? Like, your parents are like, you're never allowed there unless you go to Circus Circus because that's the only place for, for kids your age. You're never allowed there, right? Vegas is like the worst of the worst. Caesarea Philippi was worse. They worshiped a God that, that called on its people 
a false god that called on its people to do all sorts of devious things. Things that I'm not even going to say from the pulpit. And so they're, they're heading to the district of Caesarea Philippi. They're walking in Vegas. They're, they're walking down the strip. And, and he asked his disciples, who do, who do they say that I am? Like, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And, and they reply, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah, or maybe it's one of the prophets. In other words, the world has a lot of things to say about who Jesus is. The world has a lot to say, and, and, and none of them were right. None of them were right. They're, they're all wrong answers to this question. Who do they say that I am? The, have you ever asked a non-Christian who Jesus is? A good guy? A good teacher? Somebody to emulate and be like? And then Jesus turns his attention back to his disciples and he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? The disciples had to answer the same question that I had to answer. Who do you say that Jesus is? And tonight I'm gonna ask you that same question. Who do you say Jesus is? Because it's the single most important question you'll ever answer. Most people think it's who you're gonna marry. Nope. Most people, it's like, what names are you? You start planning kids' names like when you're like five years old. You're like, I'm gonna name them Leighton or I'm gonna name them Brooklyn or all these things. Like the, the most important question is the question I'm asking you tonight. Who do you say Jesus is? It's the only question that eternity hinges on. The only one. And so as we get into God's word in the book of Romans chapter three, I want you to ask yourself that question as we see what Paul says about Jesus. Starting in verse 21, it says, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and prophets. So, so for the first time in history, somebody who's born Jewish experiences Christ. And if you, if you don't remember Paul's conversion story, he was, he, he was uh, on this road and, and, and Jesus appears to him in this flash of light and makes him blind. And then Jesus speaks to him. He says, Saul, Saul, that was his name then. He changes it to Paul shortly after. And he, he, says, he says, why do you persecute me? And right there on the road to Damascus, Paul experiences the power and the life-changing transformation that comes in putting your faith in Jesus for the first time. This is a guy who used to kill Christians, and now he becomes one. And so for the first time, this, this Jewish guy is going apart from the law, the law that for his whole life was all about justification. If you just do these things, then you'll be righteous. And he's making a bold statement, but now, after Jesus, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. It's come. And it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. That's what we talked about this morning. That, that all the prophets and all, all the laws, they, they were all meant just to point to Jesus, to point to the one who would come and fulfill all of those prophecies. Jesus, see, he found a better way to fix our relationship with God 
And it was the plan all along. And the law and the prophets screamed out the name of Jesus. The Old Testament, it was was always meant to point to a better way, a different way, a permanent way, the way of salvation, the way of Jesus. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so he says, The righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus. We we receive the righteousness of God. That means when we put faith in Jesus, his righteousness is what what we put on. We put on his righteousness. And now when we stand before God with his righteousness, that's what God sees, the righteousness of Christ. When we put our faith in Jesus, that sounds like a good deal to me. No, it sounds like a great deal that I I put faith, I trust in this this Jesus Christ, that that he is the son of God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the savior. And when I stand before God, I get to put on his righteousness. But what is faith? Paul's pointing to it as the thing that's required, the thing that's required for us to put on the righteousness of God. Without it, you stand before God alone on your own merits, but with it comes the the saving grace of Jesus. So faith, faith is one of those words that has has a double meaning. It has two two words. You you can have faith about something. It's a a faith that's untested. It it doesn't need to be tested. You you don't really have to put that much on the line. It's just, it's, it's a faith about something. Or there's a faith in something. Let me let me tell you a story. I'll show you uh, a little bit about what how this this looks in real life. My wife, her name's Kristen. Before we got married, I told you guys we broke up for three years. So in the in the, that period of time, she's like, I really want to go skydiving. And I'm like, I really don't want to go skydiving, but I really want to get you back. So. So I'm like, let's go. We'll go for your birthday. We're going to celebrate you. We're going we're gonna to have fun. And so we drive to Vegas, the Caesarea Philippi, right? We drive to Vegas, and just past Vegas is a place called Mesquite, Mesquite, Nevada. And, uh, and we, we go, okay, we're going we're gonna to go skydiving. And so we sit in this thing, and, and they strap, they, they, they pack our chutes, and they strap them on us. And we get in the plane. And I remember being in the plane going, I'm not doing this. I literally, there's a guy strapped to your back, by the way, because it's your first time and they don't want you to die. But I remember going, so Kristen was the first one to jump out of the plane. She just, she was all about it. Uh, it's the only time in, in our life she's been braver than me, except for when she had kids. That was really cool. She did a great job. But I go second and I'm going to this guy. I'm like, I'm not going. He's like, okay. We keep walking up to the the door, and I'm like, I'm not going. He's like, okay. (laughs) See, on the ground, I had faith about the parachute. On the ground, I was like, yeah, people do this all the time. I did research how many deaths per year from skydiving before I went. 
And there was more than I was comfortable with. But, but I'm standing at the door. <laughs> One more time, I'm like, I'm not going. He's like, okay. And then he jumps from behind me. I had nothing. Like, he, he just, like, he didn't even tell me. He didn't warn me anything. He jumps. And in that moment, I had to have faith in the parachute. I had no other choice. On the ground, it was easy. On the ground, I didn't have to worry about it. It was like, yeah, yeah, of course the chute's going to open. I didn't have to test that faith, but, but when the guy behind you jumps out of a plane at 15,000 feet, all of a sudden, you have to test that faith. And so he pulls the cord, and I remember it like it was yesterday. I was just praying. I'm like, Jesus. I don't want to die this way. Please let this shoot open. And it, he pulls the cord, and I remember going, Here's, here it is. It's either going to work or it's not. And, I mean, it worked. I'm here still. But thank you. It was, a close, it was a close call. And, and so, so I, I remember, like, being up in the air going, this is amazing. The chute opened, everything's fine. And by jumping out of the plane, my faith shifted from about something to into something. You guys see the difference? Do you understand what the difference is between faith about and faith in? Because faith about is somebody who goes, yeah, Jesus probably lived. Like, he, he's probably a historical figure. He, he might have done some cool things. Like, like, I believe that. But faith in is he's my savior. Is that when I stand before God, all of my hope is in him. Is that, that when I jump out of the plane, all I have is this parachute on that's Jesus. It's, it's all I have. The disciples, you see this in the disciples, right? So, I don't know if you remember the story of, of Jesus' trial, but, but they come and they arrest Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. They, they take him, like Peter cuts off the ear, he's, he's cray-cray. And, and then they take Jesus and put him on trial, and every one of the disciples disappears, every one of them, except for one. And John doesn't mind telling you about it. He's like, I'm the one that Jesus loved. I was there. I beat Peter in a foot race. John has a little bit of a pride issue, if you ask me. But he doesn't mind telling you. Like, John was the only one. John and all the women, by the way. John and all the females that were following Jesus. We don't hear much about them, but we do hear enough to go, that was important. And, and they all disappear. Because I think up till that point, they had faith about. And now their faith is being tested. And what happens after the resurrection is incredible because all of them give up their lives for their faith. Every single one of them. Eleven of them put to death, including Paul who we're reading. Eleven of them put to death for their faith, martyred, killed. And by the way, they were only killed because for one reason, they wouldn't renounce their faith. They had conviction. They saw the risen Savior. They, they knew he was who he says he was. And then John, John was exiled for his faith. 
put on the island of Patmos and, and, and lived out his life in exile, probably alone. See, before their faith wasn't tested, but, but after they saw Jesus, they knew and something changed. See, the word believe is a, is a dangerous word in the English. It's kind of like the word love. See, I can love ice cream and I can love my wife. Same word, hopefully different meanings. The word believe is the same. It could be believe about or it could be believe in. And for true saving faith, it's, it's trust in or believing in Jesus as the Messiah. This is what the author of Hebrews says about faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the convictions of things not seen. It's, it's the idea of, of hearing what Jesus says about him and putting faith in it, even though you've never seen Jesus and all you have is the word of God and historical accounts. All you have is, is, is the church that, that has lasted over 2,000 years. All you have are Christians who, who, who testify on behalf of Jesus that he changed their lives. But you have no way, you have no way of knowing 100%. Faith bridges that gap. Remember, we're not talking about blind faith. And so it, I want you to ask yourself the question, is your faith tested? Or do you just believe about some guy named Jesus who probably did the stuff in the Bible thousands of years ago? And this question is important because remember in verse 23, and I keep coming back to this because this verse is so important. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, everyone, you, me, all, everyone. You got that? Say everyone. Good, you're tracking. We all have sinned and we all need redemption. And so it's a good thing that Paul keeps writing. It's a good thing that this doesn't end here. And so verse 24 Beautiful verse, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. I feel like I could just walk off the stage. But let's unpack this a little bit. He says being justified, the, the term justified is a legal term. It, you would see it in a courtroom when, when the judge marks somebody not guilty. Uh, the, the term is, is to be given a favorable verdict. That's what it actually means, to be declared innocent. He goes on to say, this, this de declaration of, of being innocent is a gift. A gift, meaning we didn't earn it, meaning it wasn't about how good we lived or, or how, many, how many people we helped. It, it was just a gift. It was freely given to us, that Jesus freely gave us this grace because of our faith. And he says it's a gift by his grace. Grace meaning we got something we didn't deserve. And because of this grace, we get redemption. People who were dead are now alive. People, people who were sinners are now made righteous in front of God. We have redemption that is only in Christ Jesus. 
And through our faith in Jesus, we've been made right with God. But faith in what? This is important. I don't want you to miss it. Verse 25. He just mentions, he says, uh, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, verse 24, whom God, verse 25, displayed publicly as a propitiation, big million dollar word, we'll unpack it in a second, in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance, the the mercy of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So what's this public display? It happened at a place called Golgotha. This place of the skull. It's a it's a, it's a hill, really, overlooking Jerusalem. And, and it's, it's up on a hill because from the old city of Jerusalem, you could see it. So everyone who's there in Jerusalem could come outside and look and see what's happening. The, the Roman officials did this on purpose because they, they really wanted to, to make sure that people didn't follow in the footsteps of criminals. You know, you know today how like you have mass shootings and they put it on the news and then you have copycats? The Romans were really good at making sure that didn't happen. And so all of their executions were done publicly up on a hill. And and Jesus, he was whipped and he was beaten. He carried his cross beam up there until he couldn't anymore. And then they made somebody else carry that cross beam. He he gets up to the top of this hill and, and they lay him down on the cross and they hammer stakes through both of his arms and through his feet. And they lift him up. And when you get crucified, it's, it's not death from the nails in your hands. It's death from suffocation. You're, you're, the strength gives out and your body moves forward and you literally suffocate. And Jesus, dripping of blood, breathes his last for you and for me. This word propitiation The theological term for it is penal substitutionary atonement. And what that means, penal is penalty. Substitution is he takes on our wrath. We take on his righteousness. And atonement means to be washed clean. So through him paying our penalty through him switching places with us where where we are now taking on his righteousness and and he's taking on our wrath. We are washed clean from our sins. They're not covered, they're clean, they're gone. The author of Hebrews comments on the the importance of Jesus's blood says in Hebrews 9.22, and according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Jesus had to shed blood. It's interesting, when he was up on the cross, they wanted to make sure he was dead, and so they, they jammed a spear in his side. And a mixture of blood and water drips out from his side. Blood just drenching the ground from the the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet. In verse 26 of Romans 3, it says this, for the demonstration, I say of his righteousness at the present time. Get this, get this. 
so that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Did you pick that up? He's both just and the justifier. This is so important because Jesus had, God's nature is that he is just and that he is loving. And we think that those two things can't, that that they can't be reconciled. And, And yet on the cross, what this is saying is God's justice, his wrath and his love, his mercy was reconciled in one place. Because in one place, Jesus carried out his justice and took on our sin and put it to death and carried out the role of the justifier, making anyone who has faith in him right before God. Jesus had to punish sin. But his love for his creation meant he didn't want to lose us forever. And so in Jesus, God pours out his wrath on sin and won back those who have faith in him in one loving act, the most loving act this world has ever seen. See, the concept of grace was foreign to the Jewish people. The the Old Testament is all about faith, but somewhere along the way, they lost their way. Paul's going to address the religious culture of the day. The, the people who are the most religious, think Pharisees. The, think the, the people who said, I don't need grace. Like, I'm good enough on my own. I, I've done everything that I need to do. I've checked all the boxes. I came from a good Christian home. I've been raised in a good church. I help my youth pastor stack chairs at the end of the night. I do everything that I need to do. Here's what he says, verse 27. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By by what kind of law of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It was very common. You can read it all throughout the Gospels for these Jewish religious leaders to boast about their faith. They they would go from town to town. They would teach all the Jewish people that weren't religious leaders uh, leaders looked up to them. They were, they were, they were, they, they just, they thought that they, they walked on water, even though Jesus is the only one, well, Jesus and Peter walked on water. Um, they, they were these self-righteous people, these people that thought they, they, they didn't need anything. Think of the, the rich young ruler, right? Jesus comes to him, he says, teacher, how am I be saved? And he, he goes through all the, these lists of, of the law, and, and he looks at Jesus, the God of the universe, the Savior of the world, and he goes, I've done all those things. all of them? And Jesus looks at his sin of choice and he goes, go sell everything. Not because selling everything is the ticket to heaven. That was his sin. He he loved his things more than he loved God. See, I wonder what we would boast about anyway. Jesus created us Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus died on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave. Let me stop there. The evidence uh, that Jesus is who he says he is, is the resurrection. Paul himself in 1 Corinthians 15 says, Paul, or he, he says that if Jesus didn't rise, then our faith is in vain. Every hope we have is that Jesus 
is God. And so he conquered death. And 2,000 years plus later, he still rose from the dead. We're still celebrating Easter. Let me get back to my list. Jesus not only rose from the grave, he then ascended into heaven. He he then sits at the right hand of the Father. He he then set up his church. And really, Jesus is the whole reason we're here today. So what, what, what do we have, what do we have to, to boast about? Nothing. We're just beggars trying to tell other bre- beggars where to get the bread. That's it. We're sinners who have been saved. See, faith in the work of Jesus was finished on the cross. He, he says, as he's hanging on the cross, he, 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 he cries out to Telestai. He cries out, it is finished. Well, what is finished? The role he came to play as Savior. His death secured life for those who believe. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, say no one comes to the Father but through me. There is one way to heaven, and it is only through Jesus. He made that very clear because he knew thousands of years later that we were going to hear from the world that there's thousands of ways to get to heaven, that you can be a good person, that you can, you can go to church, and, and somehow going to church gets you into heaven. I got news for you. There are people in church that are going to get to, to, to heaven. They're going to stand in front of God. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you because it's about faith in and not faith about. When Jesus defeated death and rose from the grave, he appeared to over 500 people over 40 days. And as the gospel writers wrote about that, 500 people could have had the chance to come and say, I was there that day. That wasn't, that wasn't Jesus. Jesus left a tomb that was guarded by the Roman soldiers. The, the punishment for, for leaving your post is death. The the Jewish officials, if they had Jesus' body, they could have just put it on a cart behind a horse and drug it through town and said, look, he didn't rise, he's here. We have his body, but none of that happened. The only explanation for the resurrection is that Jesus is who he says he is. He is God who died on our behalf and was raised again and defeated death and ascended into heaven and established his church and brought us all here today to hear the good news of what he did for us. That's the only explanation. When we started tonight, I asked you to ask yourself a question. Who do you say Jesus is? I know some of you came up the mountain and you're, you've been wrestling. What does my sin look like? Does God really love me this much? And God's been working on your heart. He's, he's been pressing on your, your buttons. He's, he's, been, he's been showing himself to you. And you might not have all the answers, 
Nobody does. You might just know enough to know that you're a sinner in need of grace and hear the good news of Jesus and say, I want that. I want that forgiveness. I want to stand in front of God someday and I want to be declared righteous, not because of what I did, but because of what Jesus did for me. I want to ask you a question. Who do you say Jesus is? And if that's you, if, if, if any part of that story resonates with you, if, if you came up here and you didn't know who Jesus was and, and tonight or, or last night or the day before, you're like, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I want, I want to become a child of God. I want to be saved. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand. I want to give you, give you a, a little bit of preparation. I want, I want to ask you to stand because of one reason. The, the, the life of a Christian is a life of boldness. It's never been more true than the society that we live in now. And Jesus says, if anyone denies me before man, I will deny them in front of my father. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to take that first bold step in your faith. The first time ever, and, and trust me, two things are true. The first person to do it is going to be the hardest. So if you're feeling it, just be the first person. Be a leader. The other thing that's true is this place is going to erupt. This place is going to go crazy because this place is full of Christians who know what you're saying. They know the transformation that has happened, and they know that everyone who comes to, to Jesus is a miracle. You are in a safe space with people who love you and will cheer for you and will walk with you. But it takes boldness. So I'm going to ask you, if that's you, and tonight you want to declare that you belong to Jesus for the first time publicly, I'm just, just going to ask you, stand, stand where you are. I think we could be a little louder. Gets me every time. People who are dead are now alive. People, you get that? Look around. These are the people you're going to see in heaven with you. They're going to be there. For eternity, what a gift, what a privilege, what an honor. I want you guys who are standing to know you make what everyone here, the kitchen staff and the, the program staff and the, the staff behind the scenes, Monty and myself, you made what we do worth it. This is why we're here, to bring hope to the hopeless. So I'm going to pray for you. Stay standing, I'm going to pray for you, and then I got a little message for the rest of you. Father, I just want to pray over my friends. Lord, they took a bold step tonight to declare that for the first time they belong to you, that they're putting their faith in you. And Lord, I know that, that that doesn't mean everything's going to be smooth sailing, that the life of a Christian looks more like a roller coaster than it does a, 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 a straight line. But, but Lord, I just, I pray that, that they would be in it and that you would grab a hold of them, that you would secure them 
And Lord, that you would walk with them, that you would put community in their lives to come around them and say, we're with you. Lord, you did a miracle tonight. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. There's still more of you I want to talk to. Some of you came up the mountain, and you already knew Jesus, but if we're honest, life back home hasn't looked like you're walking out your faith. If we're honest, you came up here and God just revealed to you some sin. Maybe he revealed to you the fact that, that, that you need to, need to turn back to him. It's called repentance. This idea of, of, of walking down the path of sin, stopping and turning back to God. And what I'm going to ask you to do is if that's you, if God's been working on you since you've been here and you know, I need to repent, I need to stop what I've been doing and I need to turn back to God, I'm gonna ask you stand up right now. It's a big step. But it's one, I, I was thinking of, uh, one, one of your leaders mentioned uh, the, the prodigal son. My brother right there. He mentioned the prodigal son. And I just, I, I remember the father, the, the God figure in the story. And, and he, he sees his son from a long way off, the son that went wayward. He was a child, he was his child. And he goes and he goes and he sows his wild oats. He's like eating pig slop and, and he loses all of the father's money. And he's like, I gotta come back. And, and the beautiful thing is the father's waiting for him. And he looks down this long driveway and he sees his son from a long way off and he runs to him and he throws his arms around him and he, he reestablishes, this guy's like, if I could just be his servant, that would be awesome. And he reestablishes his sonship. He gives it right back to him. He says, he says you've always been my son. Nothing has changed. And now you're back, in, you're back home. That's what God is doing now for you. He's rejoicing. Now, here's the hope. The hope is that you remember this. The hope is not that you're perfect. The hope is that you make progress. The life of a Christian, we're going to talk about this the rest of camp, but the life of the Christian is, is, a, is not a life of perfection. It's a life of looking more and more like Jesus every day. That's my hope for you. You guys can have a seat. What we're going to do is, I know there's going to be some stuff going on later, some free time and junk like that, but I promise you, nothing is more important than what you guys are going to do right now in your so what time. Take, take whatever time you need to process what just happened, to celebrate with the people in your cabin that just declared for the first time that they're alive. There is... There is nothing more important than that. I'm going to pray for you guys, and then 
You guys can head to your time with your cabins, your so what time. There's some bookmarks in the back for those of you that stood up that that way your your youth pastors can follow up and you can have a, uh, they can they can know, you know, keep that record for you uh, later so you can have that in your Bible and know that on this day in 2022, you change from death into life. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I'm so grateful for my brothers and sisters here who, who either gave their life to Jesus for the first time or who realized, Lord, that this life is always about turning back to you. That the flesh and Satan and the world, they, they come at us with so much veracity. Like they, they, they want nothing more than to drag us down. We are tempted and we sin, but we are saved and you have saved us and you hold us. And so I'm grateful for the declarations that were made tonight. Lord, watch over them. We know that Satan still prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking to devour them. Lord, watch over them. Bring community to watch over them. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys have a great night. We'll see you next time.